If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to the Gospel of Mark, and let's go to chapter 16. And we want to look at the topic, He is risen. What a precious time to gather together at church. And I know there's a lot of people that only come to church on Easter and only come to church at Christmas. And yet the Bible calls us to come and be submissive to Christ 24-7. And it's uh, 52 weeks out of the year. And I mean, it's not just Easter Sunday morning for me while you're the pastor. It should not just be Easter Sunday morning for you. It should be every day of the week, the whole month, and the months ensuing. We come to serve and to worship the risen Christ. When we come to March, Mark chapter 16, we speak and we teach on the crucifixion, uh, his death, his burial, and the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have four biographies of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which have been collected for us. And we study them and we bring them forth. Paul the Apostle brings forth many letters or epistles, as we call them. And he also speaks of the death and the resurrection of Christ. And especially when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And basically we have the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. But we have to understand that the word of God is there for us. And we need to glean from it. We need to take from it. Mark and his resources, his materials for the story of Jesus, the suffering, the death, the resurrection, Mark is considered by many scholars as the oldest of the four Gospels. But he's also the most concise of all four Gospels. His resources, uh, which are based on eyewitness accounts and personal testimonies concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And besides the physical approach, we cannot discount the spiritual account, and that is as the Holy Spirit who gives, gave to the prophets in the Old Testament what to write, what to pen, accurate prophecies that still grip mankind today. With all that said and done, if you don't believe Jesus of Nazareth was born, crucified, died, buried, on the third day he rose again from the dead. If you don't believe that, listen, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. But I know who can, and that is the Holy Spirit of God, who reveals to all men, to all women, who are truly asking, who are truly seeking, who are truly knocking on his chamber door. It's important for me. I will preach the gospel, but I can't bring you to the cross. Only the Spirit of God, as he pricks your heart, as he pricked my heart 30 plus years ago. When we look at prophecy, it is so important to me. You have over 350 prophecies that have already been completed concerning his birth and concerning uh, his crucifixion, his death, and the resurrection. And then you have 300 prophecies that just speak of the resurrection of Christ. How can you deny uh, these things? And people still say, well, you know, I don't believe. I mean, I, it'll happen to me quite often. I'm talking to somebody. And they will say, well, pastor, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe. And I respond to them and not in a cruel or a mean way or a prideful way. I, I say to them, I can't help you. Only the Holy Spirit can help you. You're not my problem. You're God's problem. Now, I'm the mouthpiece here. And so I'll bring forth the word of God. And so it has to be that the Spirit of God gets a hold of you. After Mary and I came to Saving Grace, naturally, I went back home and I began to share the gospel. I went to work and I began to share the gospel. And one of the toughest nuts to, cry, to crack, that is, was my dad. My dad was an alcoholic for 35 years. My dad and my mom had separated at one time. When I was a boy, my dad used to beat on my mom. 
And I used to beg mom, mom, leave him. And then in my ignorance of prayer, I used to say, Lord, kill this man. My mom doesn't need to go through that. Now, as I got older and got bigger, then my dad stopped. But when I came to Saving Grace, all of a sudden I said, what about my dad? And I started to hurt inside. Because I remember those prayers, Lord, kill him. Lord, take him out of the picture. All he is is a, is a nuisance and a bother. And yet if God would hold on to that foolish prayer, my dad did not know the Lord. And so when I come to Saving Grace, I try to share with him. And some of you know this. My dad was stubborn. He says, I'm glad for you and your brother because my brother come to Saving Grace three days later. I'm glad for you and your wife. I'm glad for uh, your mom, my wife. And I couldn't penetrate my dad's heart. And I tried. It was my kids. My kids. And those of you that are grandpas, you know what I'm talking about. Our daughters would go up to grandpa, grandpa. You got to come to church. We got a play going on. You know, you need to come. There's, this, there's a play called uh, Salty. He was dressed up as a book. And there goes my dad. I go, I've invited you every week. And then he goes and he cries like a baby. It's the Spirit of God. It's not about Bob. It's not about you. Yes, we're to witness. And yes, we're to testify. But unless the Spirit of God gets a hold of him, unless the Spirit of God gets a hold of her, it's all in vain, and the Spirit of God got a hold of me. The Spirit of God got a hold of a lot of you. And if this morning you still haven't come to saving grace, I pray the Holy Spirit to get a hold of you. Because that's how you come to the cross. And so when we speak about hearing the gospel message, He is risen, this is Resurrection Sunday, uh, there's a lot of traditions. And so over here... Uh, What's the name of that park over here on, on Parkway? Uh, Veterans Park. This morning at 6.30, they had a sunrise service, the uh, Evangelical Ministerial Fellowship. And a lot of people love to go on early Sunday morning to sunrise. Back home, uh, our pastor used to rent Cerritos College, and, and then everybody would go, everybody would partake. And uh, the sound people, poor guys, uh, they, they were leaving the church at 3 in the morning. They had to get ready for sunrise service. But you get a lot of people that come because it's Easter Sunday morning. It's tradition. And that's good. But the Holy Spirit needs to prick hearts. And he does. I want you to turn to a passage before we get into Mark uh, chapter 16. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. And go to chapter 10 with me. In Hebrews we speak about Christ, his death, his resurrection. And he completes us. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart. So Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 18, Jesus is my complete high priest. And he's my complete sacrifice. I don't need a high priest anymore. I don't need any more blood sacrifices. He is the complete deal. And as you look at the Old Testament, and they were sacrificing the various animals. All of this was pointing to the cross. When Jesus was coming into the Jordan Valley, and he sees John baptizing in the Jordan, and John looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Who told John? But the Holy Spirit. And John recognized the Savior, the Messiah, uh, the Mashiach as he came uh, to die for the sins of mankind. And so the Holy Spirit has to prick your heart. Uh, look at Hebrews 10, look at verse 11. Under the old covenant, and I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and he ministers before the altar a day after day, offering the same sacrifice again and again, which can never take away sin. It, it only covered the sin. It's called the kofar, but it was pointing uh, to the cross. In verse 12, but our high priest, speaking of Christ, offered himself to be uh, to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. 
Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus paid the full price. He gave his life a ransom for all. His life was spent on a tree for all mankind. And this baffles the mind. For the sins of man, past, present, and future. Here's the key. All we have to do is ask. In verse 13, Hebrews 10 still. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Have all of Jesus' enemies humbled under his footstool? Have humbled under his feet? And the answer is, not all. Not all. You have family, friends, and loved ones. You have neighbors. You have co-workers. Not everybody has come to the cross. Not all, but one day. The Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, here's the key. We can bow now today unto salvation, or we will bow later unto judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, it speaks about the great white throne judgment. And if you see the course that has been set for mankind, hell was never created for man. It was created for the fallen angels. If we die today, we would go to hell if we don't know Christ. And there in hell, you will wait till after the 1,000-year reign of Christ and then the final white throne judgment. And basically, that is called the second death. And you're going to be taken out of hell. And then you're going to stand at the great white throne judgment. And then you will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever and ever. But Jesus paid the full price that we don't have to do that. In verse 14, for by that one offering, speaking of Christ, he forever made a, a made us perfect, those who are being made holy, set apart. If we have come to Christ, we come by faith. Now, am I complete? I'm complete in Christ, but I'm not finished. I'm a work in progress, so are you. Am I perfect? By no means. All you got to do is ask my wife. But here's the key. We are being completed. We're looking for that cry one day. And Jesus says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of the Lord. And yes, he has given us salvation today. All we have to do is ask. Look at verse 15. And the Holy Spirit, and that's what we've been speaking of. The Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, we continue, verse 16. This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, saith the Lord. I will put my laws, and listen to where the laws go, into their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. The laws are not on the tablets of the law. The laws are not on stone. We're supposed to place them in our heart. The laws are not in a calf-binding Bible. But they need to go on the heart. What good is it? Remember back in the day, when I was a little boy, my mom had that huge white Bible. I mean, it just sat on the coffee table. And she had it decorated. I mean, it looked perfect. And it, I mean, it was white and all those pictures in there. I was a little kid. And my mom's thinking, I'm looking at all the pictures. I'm just looking at the naked angels. That's what I was doing. But that Bible was meaningless. My mom wouldn't let us touch it. She wouldn't let us read it. It was for the priest to read. And thank God, you know, we have uh, smaller Bibles, and we can read them. We need to study the Word of God. He wants to place it not on tablets of stone, not on calf-bind Bibles, uh, but in our hearts. In our hearts. Look at verse 17. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. How do I know this? So, Pastor Bob, you say, come to the cross, and I accept Christ, and I relinquish, and I says, I'm yours, Lord. How do I know this? But that's where the Spirit of God comes in. The Holy Spirit reveals this to me. 
and you place these promises in your heart, in your heart by faith. And that's how I come to Christ, by faith. How, how did Abraham come to God? By faith. How did the patriarchs come to God? By faith. It still hasn't changed. We have to come by faith. And God gave us his son as a complete sacrifice to die on the cross for all mankind. I believe that by faith. Look at the conclusion in verse 18. And, and when, sin, when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. What we celebrate today is the risen Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus does not have to die on the cross every Sunday. He died once and for all. And that's why when Jesus gave up the ghost at Calvary, his arms are stretched out, and his final cry, it is finished, to tell a story. And the Bible says that there was an earthquake. And the Bible says that the temple curtain that separated from you going into the Holy of Holies rent in two. Interesting to me that it was cut from the top to the bottom. 15 foot square, 18 inches thick. Tradition tells us the rabbis went back up later and, and sewed it back together. Jesus gave us access to the Holy of Holies. That's what we're celebrating today. Now let's go to Mark chapter 16. He is risen. Obviously the four Gospels bring out this beautiful story of truth. And yet Mark is so concise. I love this. Last week if you were here, I made mention that back in the 90s I was able to go to Russia. And I went with one of our missionary friends. And we were gone for three weeks. And I did not want to go without something. And I knew I couldn't speak the language, and they wouldn't understand our language. And if you ever read Russian, when we got down to the subways, and by the way, their subways were about four stories down. I said, that's it. I'll get on this train, and we're going to Siberia. <laughs> Somebody told me to get a hold of the 700 Club. And the 700 Club had on a 92-minute cassette the whole Gospel of Mark. And so I took quite a few of those. And then everybody in the fellowship gave me a bunch of Walkman and batteries, and we were able to take them in. And I began to give them to people. Tony that was with me began to give them to people. We even gave it to some of the military. But we stayed in some of the, the homes of, of the nationals there. And I'll tell you, I've never seen this. I got to minister by handing a Walkman and a 92-minute cassette on the Gospel of Mark. I gave it to a woman that was probably in her 80s, grandma. And once she put that headset on and I just pressed the button, she knew what was going on. It was comical. Now I see it. All Everybody else in the room was trying to take off the headgear. And she was going, no, get away from me. She's hearing the word of God, possibly for the first time. And then we had Russian praise. Maranatha music. It just spoke to their heart. And the Holy Spirit has to get a hold of you. And so that's the importance that we've been looking at. Uh, the importance of what we've been teaching. And so now the risen Christ. We begin here in Mark chapter 16. He is risen. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, they bought spices that they might come and anoint him. The King James says that they bought sweet spices. But after the Sabbath was complete, remember they hurriedly placed Jesus in a tomb. It belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. And after his death, because the Sabbath uh, would begin at sundown, then they did not possibly finish embalming him because they hurriedly had to get him in there. Or the ladies came back to dress the body. But I like what we see here. 
the women are the ones that approach the tomb. And they're coming for the purposes of taking care of the body. Because the body is going to decay. The body is going to stanch it. And they came to anoint it with fragrances. The King James sweet fragrances. And where, I got to say this, where were the men? We know that the men were hiding. We picked that up in other gospel passages. These were the leaders. These were the men. But the women were there. Later on, these men, uh, the 12 especially, are going to be called the pillars of the church. But the women, most significantly here, Mary Magdalene. She was from the city of Magdala. She was a great sinner. And when we get to the conclusion of Mark, the Bible tells us that Jesus cast out. Seven demons from her. There are those that say she was a big, huge prostitute in the city. We don't know. But she was a sinner. What's the difference if you're a prostitute or if you're a liar? The Bible says, or a drunkard. The Bible says you're, you're not going to get into the kingdom of God. There has to be change. There has to be transformation. Mary comes. And she is the one that's going to see first uh, the empty tomb. And then she goes back and then she will bring uh, John and Peter in another passage. But the men are hiding. Look at verse 2. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb. And when the sun had risen. And so we know that the first day of the week in Israel is Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead early Sunday morning. Thus, many celebrate Easter sunrise service, as we mentioned. Even here locally in Veterans Park. Verse 3. And they said among themselves. These are the women talking. Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Obviously the tomb was big enough. Because it was a family tomb. And obviously there would have been this huge stone in the entrance. Who's going to remove it so the ladies are concerned? In verse 3. As they're approaching. The tomb, this conversation went on concerning the stone. They want to know, how are we going to get in there? The mouth of the tomb, the tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. Now, the tomb that we go to when we go to Israel is a good-sized tomb. And it's right outside of Jerusalem. It's right across from Calvary. Is it the tomb of Jesus? We don't know. But as we go in there, the ambience is there, and, and we partake. And you stoop down, just as John said in his gospel, and you go in. And you can see this tomb that we go into. It's big enough for a family. You could probably put five, ten people. I don't know. But it's interesting that Joseph of Arimathea was willing to give it up for Jesus. Listen to this. He didn't know, but Jesus just needed it for three days. It's just like he was going to La Quinta, right? I just need it for three days. But I want you to see that Mary Magdalene was the first one to arrive. In verse 4 now. And when they looked up, because they're approaching the tomb, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. For it was very large. Now I want you to imagine the sight in their eyes. I mean... It's rolled away. We don't have to worry about it. Verse 3 said, who's going to roll away the stone for us? The women did not expect to find an empty tomb. They were looking for the body of Jesus. We see that the resurrection accounts cannot uh, be the, the product of chance. But there were those that didn't still understand, even though Jesus explained it to them. They did not expect the resurrection. I don't know. But they came to dress the body again. Or to embalm the body. Maybe they didn't do it the first time. Because of the Sabbath. But I want you to see this. Two, two passages. In Matthew chapter 27. It says that there was Roman guards placed there. And they sealed the tomb. With the Roman seal. Now to remove that seal you would be condemned to death. And so there were those that spread the rumors. 
that they, he said, in three days I will rise again. And so that the disciples were going to steal the body. And so they had these Roman guards. And then in Matthew chapter 28, an earthquake occurs. An angel rolled the stone away. And I like this. Then he sat on it. The angel sat on it. And so what are Mary Magdalene and the other ladies watching? Look at verse 5 now. And entering the tomb finally, they saw a young man clothed in long white robes, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed, rightfully so. Matthew chapter 28 says that an angel of the Lord was there to testify of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But rightfully so again. They were frightened. This angel is in human form. But I like what's going on here. There's a dialogue between the angel and the women. Especially Mary Magdalene. Who are you looking for? He is risen from the dead. Uh, look at verse 6 now. But he said to them, do not be alarmed, because he could see the fear. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. And I love this, but he is risen. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. I see two strong messages right here. Two strong points. Just in verse 6. Number one, Jesus was crucified. And men that were crucified did not survive. Many men died at the scourging before the cross. Just in case there was any doubt, Jesus is dead. Uh, the second point, he is risen now. He was not unconscious. Somebody didn't press on his chest over and over. To resuscitate. He was clinically dead. And then the resurrection. If you're taking notes. You need to study 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul painstakingly takes us through the doctrine of the resurrection. When we speak of the resurrection of Christ. For the last 2,000 years. Listen. There's been a lot of men. Even some women. That claim to be the Messiah. They claim to be deity, and they have come and gone. They have died, but not one has ever resurrected from the dead. Only Christ. Only Christ. Not too long ago, some of you remember the name, David Koresh, over here in Texas. And, you know, he said he was Messiah. Well, we know what happened to David Koresh. Messiah got burned to death, but he never rose again from the dead. And so this, the people continue, and they're not going to finish. There's, there's plenty of messiahs today that claim to be, but only Jesus rose from the dead. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You need to study it. Paul the Apostle says to the church at Corinth, if there is no resurrection, we are men and women most miserable. We are men and women most miserable. The core of Christianity is Christ. But if there's no resurrection, he's a good man. He's a good carpenter. He's a good, you know, provider. I mean, he's all these things, but unless he's risen from the dead, he's nothing. He's just a good person. And so Paul so beautifully brings it forth. Listen to the translation. If there is no resurrection, we are men and women miserable. The word miserable is translated to the word pitied. You poor Christians, you come into church on Sunday. You read the scriptures. You give your tithes and your offerings. You go and witness to family, friends, and loved ones. But if there's no resurrection... It's all futile. It's all empty. It's all in vain. But the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead, and we're going to read this in just a bit, and he sits at the right hand of majesty. How do I know this? By faith. By faith. I know God changed my life. I know some of you personally, God changed your life. 
We see people that are drug addicts, alcoholics. I've seen people that are homosexual, lesbians, and God transforms their life. Only the power of God can do that. And so we have to trust him. In verse 7, now the angel says, but go and tell the disciples, and listen to this, and Peter, that he is going before you into the Galilee. Jesus was going to meet them in the Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. He had previously mentioned that he was going to Jerusalem. He would die, then he would rise again from the dead. Then he told them, after, I will, I will see you in the Galilee. And it was hard to conceive. They're listening, but nothing's going in. It didn't all come together until the book of Acts in chapter 2, when the power of God's Spirit fell upon the church. But I like this. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Notice, in verse 7, the angel, the angel of the Lord is saying, Jesus said he would be in the Galilee. Now, you're invited. The ball is in your court. We see at the end of Mark chapter 16, the portion of the Great Commission, and we're told to go and to tell others, I will be with you always. Why did he include Peter off to the side? Remember, Peter denied the Lord three times. Jesus said, this day you will deny me three times, and then the rooster is going to crow. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says that Peter, when the rooster crowed, he went out and he cursed. Jesus said, I was going to do that, and I did. I denied him. I see a little comfort there and tell Peter also. I look at verse 8 now. And so they went out quickly, and they fled from the tomb. These are the women. For they trembled. And were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. Great fear came on the disciples. These are the ladies. If they killed Jesus and were his followers, we're next. The men are behind closed doors. Jesus said he would be in the Galilee. And so that's where they're heading. Now here in verse 8, it's very normal to have a sense of fear because as they fled the tomb with the message, now in their hearts, uh, they still trembled with alarm and fear in their hearts. Yet at the same time, the word amazed here is also translated joy in their hearts. You mean you can be fearful and yet you have joy in your heart? Yes, I've been in that position. All of a sudden, fear sets in. The Bible says fear is not of the Lord. But yet fear is there. And then I give in to the fear. But yet God is in control. And, and yet, they had the joy of the Lord in their hearts. They kept this message to themselves. Why? Uh, they were terrified. Terrified of whom? Rome was a great oppression and oppressors at the time, taxing them to, to the point of death, I mean. They were extracting everything. And then the religious sect followed suit. So uh, Rome was taxing you. Rome was badgering you. Rome was pushing you. And then the religious sect, which was the Sanhedrin, then they came against you. And they added to the taxes. Remember Levi? which was Matthew, he was hated because the Jews knew to use one of their own to extract the money. And for Levi to make money, he had to charge more taxes. But I like this. The message is in their hearts, even though there was fear. Now we get back to Mary Magdalene. I love the story of Mary Magdalene. Here it begins in verse 9. I love it because she was a sinner. I can identify, and I hope you can identify. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Well, but Mary Magdalene was a, you know, she was a great sinner. You were a great sinner. I was a great sinner. That's why we need a Savior. In verse 9, so it says, Now when he rose early on the first day, again bringing it back to Sunday, the first day of the week, 
he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast out seven demons. This woman had a special place in Jesus' heart. Not that everybody else didn't. There was something special about her because a, a, such a great sinner, uh, the religious sect had abandoned her. Don't have anything to do with people like that. They're unclean. And yet Jesus reached out to her. Jesus would often go and visit the harlots, the prostitutes, the wine-bibbers. He would go into their house. He went into uh, Levi's house, which is Matthew. And the disciples were like, what are you doing, Lord? Let me give you a little bit more about Mary Magdalene. In John chapter 20, John gives us a, a little more insight. I'm going to do some paraphrasing here. But Mary comes weeping. John says she stooped down into the tomb. She saw the two angels, one at the head and the other at the feet. And somebody said, why do you weep? And they said, they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where he is at. She turned now, and she saw the man that was speaking, and she thinks he was the gardener. Where have you laid him, sir? Please tell me. The gardener supposedly responded. But we know he's not the gardener. We know that it's Jesus. Now you can see it in the emphatic. When Jesus said, Mary, she turned. It's just like you. It's just like me. When, when they call you, you know it's you. When I call my kids, they know it's me. When the supposed gardener says, Mary, she turned. And this is what she said. She recognized him. She recognized the voice. That's what she recognized. And she says, Rabboni. And there in John chapter 20, she clung to him. And Jesus says, Mary, you need to let me go. I need to ascend to my father. Mary wouldn't. She didn't want to let him go. She went through the ordeal of having seven demons cast out of her. She's following the Lord. And then he's crucified, buried. And she's going back to do uh, the thing that the women did. At least I can go dress the body, anoint the body. She's the first one at the tomb, not the men. And Jesus reaches out to her. Reaches out to her. Look at verse 10. Uh, she went and she told those who had been with him, the disciples, and now they mourn and they weep. The 11 apostles, because Judas went out and hung himself. And Mary told them, notice the reaction. They were mourning. They were weeping. Why? Because their Lord and Master is dead. But she's there to tell them he's risen from the dead. Now we know later the disciples gather together and they cast lots and they pick the 12th apostle, which is Matthias. But we read the letters to, to the various churches. First Corinthians speaks about it and others of Paul's writings. He calls himself the apostle born out of due season. I believe that Paul was to be the 12th apostle. Look at verse 11. And sometimes we find ourselves right here. And when they heard that, speaking of the disciples, that he was alive and had been seen by her, speaking of Mary, they did not believe. They did not believe. I believe that this is many Christians even today. And I have to ask the question, because I did it, why do we swim in doubt? Why do we swim in unbelief? Why do we swim in no faith? Especially that we're supposed to be a Christian nation. We have to have faith. Abraham believed God by faith. We need to have faith. In Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God builds your faith. 
The Word of God strengthens your faith. The Word of God encourages you when the enemy tries to discourage you. The Word of God encourages you when uh, the newscasts discourage you. When our politicians discourage you. We need the Word of God. And I love our church and the fact that we teach the Scriptures. We don't miss. We just finished the Gospel of John. Now we're in the book of Acts. We started in Genesis, and now we just finished Ruth. And we're going to get into 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. We need to study Old Testament and New Testament. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I hope you don't just depend on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. And if you have a hard time reading, you have a hard time studying, look at your bulletin. We're on the radio every day, three times. There's other good teachers on KELP and some of the other stations. When Mary and I arrived here 33 plus years ago, there was no Christian programming, none. And lo and behold, KELP finally came in. We were hungry for the Word of God because that's all we did in Southern California. Sunday morning is not just enough for me. I hope it's not just enough for you. Wednesday night is just not enough for me. I hope you have a regimentation of going through the gospel on your own. I hope you go through the Old Testament on your own. You should be reading devotionals. How do you expect your faith to grow? And so here's the disciples. And yet they knew. And things are going to change after Acts chapter uh, 2. Now listen, we come into about verses 12 and 13. Jesus appears to do two disciples. Uh, we have a concise version here, as we shared about Mark. But on your own, you need to study Luke chapter 24. There's these two men, disciples of Christ. One is named Cleopas. We don't know the other's name. And they're leaving Jerusalem in fear. And they go about seven, eight miles out to a place called the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. Jesus meets them on the road to Emmaus. Jesus met Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus road. Jesus, in John chapter 4, met the Samaritan woman at the well. You see, wherever God he sent his spirit and he met you. We all have a Damascus highway. We all have a, a Samaritan well. We all need the gospel. And so here's these two men on the road to Emmaus. Real quick, in verse 12 and 13, after that he appeared in another form uh, to two of them, Cleopas and the other disciple. And they walked and they went into the country. Emmaus is probably seven, eight miles out of Jerusalem. And they went and they told it to the rest now. But they did not believe them either. We're told that Cleopas and the other disciple are heading out to Emmaus. Possibly running from what's going on in Jerusalem. And... The Bible says Jesus came somewhere in the voyage. You know, they whatever it takes to walk eight miles. Let's say midstream. So he meets them at the halfway point. The Bible says all of a sudden Jesus is next to them. And he hears them talking. And he says, what's going on? They say, haven't you heard? They killed the Messiah. They killed the master. They killed the rabbi. And here's Jesus with them. And they go into Emmaus. And they break bread together. Now you have to understand, Jesus is wearing the markings of the brutal beating of the cross, of the scourging that Isaiah 53 speaks of. He was unrecognizable. And then they wore the flowing gowns, possibly hooded. And we know the sleeves are very long. But then he breaks bread with them. And when he broke bread and offered it to them, the sleeves pulled back. They saw the nail prints in his hands. Now, 
in the Greek, there's no wrist. The nail prints were here at the base of the wrist. Not in here, in the palm. It wouldn't have held. And they have done excavations, and they find the nail prints here. This will rip in the palm of the hand. But we have hinges here, and you'll lock in. They saw the nail prints of Jesus. Here's something that I've never forgotten about the two men on the road to Emmaus when Jesus, when they started to recognize, and I believe they recognized that it was a risen Christ, then he left their midst. And they said to one another, didn't our hearts burn within us? You remember when you finally came to the cross, the Spirit of God was all over you? The Spirit of God was pricking your heart, and you can respond, didn't our hearts burn within us? And that's the job of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us, as he ministers to us. Notice now, we get a small portion here of the Great Commission. We get a greater portion in Matthew chapter 28. But here Jesus is instructing his disciples. Later, in verse 14, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table or reclined literally back on pillows. And he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe. And those who had seen him after he had risen. The hardness of man's heart. It's absolutely incredible. There was times, and maybe still times today, and I don't like to admit to that, but I can harden my heart. So can you. The Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and God brought forth ten plagues. Let my people go. No, God hardened the heart. And if you want to be a hard heart, then God will harden it for you. He'll say, you want it hard? Then I'm going to give it to you. But yet in Ezekiel uh, chapter 26 or chapter 36, I always turn those around. And he says, I want to give you a new heart. I want to take away the stony heart. I want to take away the, the heart of callous. And I want to give you a heart after my own heart. That's God. As the Spirit of God begins to work in us. But here's the great commission now. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26, because Jesus said, unbelief and hardness of heart. Hebrews 10, 26, unbelief is a sin. Unbelief is a sin. If we sin willfully and we know the truth, it is sin. We have to run from sin. We have to be like Joseph in Genesis 39. He ran naked. And Potiphar's wife was holding on to his garment. Listen, you come to church. You're part of Bible reading. You're part of studies. You've been doing it for a time. And then you go back and dabble into sin. Some kind of sin that takes you away from God. In Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, For much is given, much is required. Repent. Get back to your first love. In Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are seven churches in Asia Minor. Jesus writes seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. There were actual churches then, but there are churches throughout history. The first church he writes to is the church at Ephesus. They were doing everything, and he commended them for it. But he says, I have this one thing against you. They say that Ephesus was serving the Lord over 40 plus years. And they became very mechanical at church. Well, let's go to church and, you know, let's make our prayers. Let's hear the scripture. And they became very mechanical. They forgot the Lord. Jesus says, you need to come back to your first love. You need to come back to your first love, which is Christ. And that's why the conviction for much is given, much is required. Is there Church of Ephesus people today? Yes. Is there Church of Smyrna people today, the persecuted church? Yes. They massacred 150 Christians yesterday in Africa. 
This is happening every day. We hear of children being beheaded. We hear of Christian women being raped. We hear of Christian pastors. We hear of Christians being beheaded. This is now 21st century. Uh, look at verse 15 now. And he said to them, this is the Great Commission, go in and to all the world, preach the gospel to every uh, creature. How am I going to do that? How are the disciples going to do that? Jesus gave us a promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power. The word is dunamis power. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. That's Las Cruces, New Mexico. The gospel has come here. We need to take heed as the Spirit of the Lord speaks to us. And we take it to somebody else. You come and you hear the gospel here. And then you go back to your workplace. You come and you hear the gospel here. And then you go to the university. We have a responsibility. You go home. That was my first responsibility. I wanted to see my brother come to saving grace. I wasn't doing drugs. I was buying them. And he was selling them for me. And as soon as I got saved, I said, man, my brother needs to hear. I preached to him what I knew from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Listen to how much I knew. On Wednesday night, he comes over. My wife says, your brother Ed's here. What's he doing here? It's Wednesday. So he comes in. I go, what's up, Ed? He goes, let's go. I go, go where? I'm stupid, right? Oh, my grandchildren don't like that word. Dumb. He said, let's go to church. I've been telling him all week. I never had gone to a Wednesday night service. I took my brother, and he goes up for salvation. And he's been saved ever since. The power of God's Spirit. I tried so much to bring my dad to the cross, and he wouldn't listen. It was my children. And those of you that are grandparents, when your grandchildren come to you, you melt. My dad, he wouldn't go to church. My kids, Grandpa, would you come to church with us? I'm going to be in the play salty. Okay. I look at my dad. I go, what? I felt like saying, what? You didn't hear me? You heard my kids? By the mouth of a babe, the Bible says. My dad went to church. He cried like a baby. Hardcore. Ex-military. Liked to fight. And there he is crying like a baby. Only the power of God's Holy Spirit. And that's what the promise was in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And then he says in verse 16, and look at the criteria that's going to follow. After your salvation, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. It's our choice. We come to the cross, we repent, or we're going to face judgment one day. In verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. These are the gifts that are spoken of in the scriptures. After the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them in the book of Acts in chapter 2. And then we see in verse 18. And they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. And they will be delivered. Or they will recover. It's interesting. Today all you got to do is go online. And then Google snake preachers. And they always seem to be in the Appalachian area. And these guys handle the snakes. Listen, I, I will not handle a snake. I can guarantee you that. I don't even want to handle a lizard. I'm sorry. And these guys get these snakes and they dance around. And then we hear. They get bit. And they die. And who are you going to blame? Now, if you're out and about. If you're doing missionary work. And I believe if you get involved. Somehow, some way. You're in these remote areas. Who knows what you're going to run into? And it could very easily be snakes. But if you're doing the work of the Lord, he's there to protect you. When you come to the conclusion of the book of Acts, 
Paul the Apostle wants to go to Rome. And he's finally on a ship. And he's going to Rome. The ship starts to break. There is a, a storm. They called it a Eurachlodon. It was a massive storm. And it just, the boat was going crazy. And Paul says, empty the boat. And they did. But the boat still broke up. And then Paul tells them, uh, we're going to go down, but nobody's going to die. They all swam to shore. They were all exhausted. They were all wet. They were tired. They were cold. And when they got to the shore at Malta, they gathered sticks. And, and they brought forth fire to dry up. The Bible says Paul stuck his hand inside a clump of st uh, sticks. And he didn't know. He was gathering sticks for the fire. And uh, a snake, a serpent, a small one that is indigenous to the area, grabbed a hold of Paul. And there was people from Malta that saw it. And Paul was gathering sticks. He says, what do you want? He didn't say that. He cast them off to the side. Because Paul was about the father's business. The sting wasn't that bad, but it was a deadly viper. And they were marveled that Paul didn't fall over dead. He was doing the work of the Lord. Or, you know, if you drink anything poisonous. But if you're doing the work of the Lord, God's going to protect you. Now, please, that doesn't give you the right to go over here in I-25. All right, here comes a truck. Go for it. I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. Well, you're going to meet Jesus pretty quick. <laughs> we can't tempt the Lord. Well, here's a cup of Drano. Let's see how much I can take. What's your problem? Because people do that. I don't understand it. Notice now the conclusion. Jesus ascends to God. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. We pick that up also in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Uh, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, uh, he was received up into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God, the right hand of majesty. And they went out, this is the disciples now, and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompany, listen, of signs and wonders. All of this because they believed uh, what we celebrate today, the risen Christ, the risen Christ. Beautiful, beautiful day. And we're here, as you, some were here in the first service. You're going to go home. You're going to be with family, friends, and loved ones. Or you're going to go to somebody else's home. And you're going to continue to celebrate the rest of the day. Barbecues, whatever it might be. Uh, some of you don't raise your hand, but uh, tradition back home when my mom was still alive, I knew we were going to have turkey. Not turkey, excuse me. That was Thanksgiving. We would have a ham. We would have a ham, just like here. Everybody has a ham, or, or you have, you know, a brisket, and there's got to be red chili, right? There's got to be green chili. It's not. They'll shoot you. And so here's my mom. I go, Mom, why do we have ham at the time of Easter? She goes, because we've always done it. I go, yeah, but Mom, why? I go, Jesus was a Jew. This is not kosher, Mom. Why? <laughs> and she goes like this, well, your grandma, she always had ham. And I asked grandma one day, grandma, why do you have ham? And, and she goes, because my mom did. See, it's a generational thing. You're not going to change it. And we believe in the celebration. But I tell you, tell the people about Jesus. Tell the people today. We celebrate the risen Christ. The tomb is empty. Jesus has risen from the dead. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we pray this morning as we come to the conclusion that you would bless us, that you would anoint us here this morning. Maybe there's somebody here and they still have not received the risen Christ. All you know about him. You come to church. But are you truly born again of the Holy Spirit? That's what Jesus said uh, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. 
I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at. I'll say a simple prayer with you because that's what it takes. A simple prayer that comes from the heart. If you'd like to receive Christ this morning, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Raise your hand and I'll say a simple prayer with you. Anybody here this morning would like to receive Christ? Raise your hand before we close. Anybody? The same thing goes with those that might be in the cry room. The same thing goes with those that are watching online. If you need to come to the cross, today is the day of your salvation. If you're in a backslidden condition, you need to come back to the cross. You're like the church at Ephesus that's left their first love. You're like the prodigal son that has gone and squandered all his inheritance. If that's you, you need to come to the cross. Now, after the service is over, Pastor Cliff is up here in the front. You need to rededicate that life or you need to give that life to Christ. Either way, come and pray with Pastor Cliff. If you have any other needs, you're a Christian, you're a believer, just come up for prayer. All right? And so let's pray for the offering. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for the death of Christ. But most of all, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. That's what we uh, celebrate today. Lord, bless the offerings. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.